Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Get your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis. We've been going walking verse by verse through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings, that pivotal foundational book of Scripture. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number 9 this morning. Genesis 9. Have you ever seen an amazing recipe or project or idea on the internet? This is what Pinterest is all about, right? Finding these ideas and you pin them, and they should, they should, instead of Pinterest, they should call it like covetous or something. It's just us seeing what everybody else has and what we want, either what we want to eat, what we want to cook, what we want our house to look like, all of these ideas. And have you ever gone to try one of those maybe recipes or one of those projects or those decorations, and yours didn't quite turn out the way it was supposed to, the way that it looked online or the way that it looked in that cookbook. And to be honest, it was just a complete and epic fail. Every now and again, my wife will try to uh, mix some things up for meal planning, and she'll try new recipes, and it's pretty tough. It's a tough crowd. There are seven in our family, and so when she tries one, no matter what she tries, what did you all think about that? It's always mixed reviews, and she shouldn't ask. She should just put it there. We have no other choice. We'll eat it, but there's going to be some, one of the kids that loves it, and two of them that don't, and three of, three of us that say, yeah, that was pretty good. What do you mean by pretty good? Like. It's okay. Like, what do you mean by okay? Like, it was really bad, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. Like, but sometimes they're really good, and, and you try these things, and, and they have, if you go online, you'll see all kinds of Pinterest fails. What it is, is it wasn't your idea. It wasn't your plan. It was someone else's recipe or someone else's plan, someone else's creation, if you will. And you saw it, and you tried your hand at their creation, you tried your hand at their plan, and it's the same ingredients sometimes, and you try to do it yourself, but it turns out completely wrong. I think we have a a picture of one of those, the expectation (laughs) versus reality. Anybody ever been there for one of your kids' birthday parties? All right, a few of honest folks are raising their hand here. I'll have to hear the story, Sarah. I'd like to see some pictures if we could after church. The next one there, if you're having an aerial cake. If, you're, if your child's a fan of Little Mermaid, there you go. I think there's a, a couple more here. There's a Cookie Monster. Didn't quite turn out like the original creation. And uh, that one says, nailed it. That's the, uh, here's teachers, you're decorating classes, getting ready for the classroom, and you see this great idea online, and yours doesn't quite turn out like the original, right? And I think there might be one more there, and uh, there it is. Much, much different. Some of us can relate. We're going to see something kind of like that in our passage today as we continue our systematic study through the book of Genesis. And I'll explain how those Pinterest fails kind of tie into our passage a little bit later in the message. But where we find ourselves, the context of our passage this morning, Noah's flood has ended. Noah and his family's 12-month cruise is over. They've disembarked off of their, their, uh, their cruise vacation there. And world population, in the, in the passage we're about to read, world population is eight. That was an easy year for the census takers that year. And uh, not hard to figure out how many were on earth. There are eight people left on earth. And the next phase of human history is about to begin. I want us to look 
at this as they've walked off. We saw last week they came off the boat. Noah offered worship to God at the end of chapter number eight. I'm sorry, not last week, two weeks ago. We had Pastor Prater here last week. Chapter nine, we pick it up, and I want you to see a few things. By way, we'll outline the first 19 verses of this chapter together, and I want us to see some things about God's plan. Of course, for those that might be joining us, the flood came because the world was in a really bad place. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. The Bible says that the thoughts of man were only evil continually. It makes it really clear with those descriptive words that it wasn't like some people were kind of off base, a few people had drifted from God. The thoughts of man were only evil continually. So always and only wickedness. And God said, it repented the Lord that he had made man. God said he's going to send a flood. He did that. Um, and and we've, we've walked through those things in our study on, uh, 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 through here on Sunday mornings. And, and, and so now the flood has come, and it's a fresh start. And God now has Noah and his family, and he's going to give them some instructions as they come off the boat. He's going to lay down as he kind of has a, a fresh start with th- this thing that had become a, a great mess in, in, in creation on earth. Chapter 9, verse number 1, we see, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. And we see this is a callback, really, to Genesis chapter number 2, where God had already given that command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And he now tells it again to Noah and to his family, I want you to be fruitful, multiply. And we're going to see here in the first six verses, we're going to see some things relating to God's order on earth. Look at verse number 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth. And upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, that shall ye not eat. We sang a lot this morning about the blood, the blood of Christ. The choir sang this blood. We sang, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and this is really, he says, he gives some order, some things. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And here's what I want you to understand as humans, you are, humans are the crowning creation of God. We are the only part of creation that is made in the image of God. And he says, I want you to understand that you are made in my image and you have dominion over the animal world. You have dominion over plants and over animals. You have dominion over those things. And I want you to understand that in your life. I want you to understand the order. And then he says, the flesh with the life thereof, what is he saying? How do animals, they kill their prey and they eat it? He's saying, we as humans, there should be some proper preparation of food. And he's kind of pointing to what would come as the law, what would be coming in the law, some of the dietary laws for the the Jews. And then he's also pointing to the truth that we're told the life of the flesh is in the blood. And we're told that we are saved, that that is the sinless blood of Christ that was shed, that is what saves us. Look at verse number five. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So what do we see here? We see God's order. He's starting with the new creation. What is he saying? Keep it in the right perspective. I created animals for man, not man for animals. The order, man, humans, creation is made for you to use for my glory. 
You're not to worship and serve the creature. You're to worship and serve the creator. And then what does he give the order? Some law, order of law. You have to remember what had happened right before the flood. Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. It was lawlessness. There was no order. And so God, from the very beginning, he says, there's going to be some order. There's going to be some law. He's saying, you, you can't just kill somebody that you don't like. Remember uh, with the, the genealogies of, of where we saw with Lamech and, and others, where it was just, you made me mad, I killed you. You hurt me, I killed. It was just vigilante justice. And God said, with my creation, I want there to be rule of law. I want there to be order. And if there is, and we see here capital punishment, if a man sheds the life of another man, he says, then that man has to pay for that. If an animal kills a man, then we'll kill that animal. There has to be a consequence there. And you've got to take care of your own animals. If you have animals, make sure they're not hurting people. People are more important than animals. So God is laying out his order. Order. Then look at his plan, verse number seven. We've already seen it in verse one. Would you read verse seven aloud with me? Verse number seven, ready? Begin. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God's plan for his creation. What is his plan? God wants man to bring life, not death. God's plan, God is life, Satan is, is, is one that deals in death. God wanted to repopulate the earth, God's plan is life, growth, blessing. Then look at God's promise, verse number 8, and God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, and I, behold, I establish my covenant or promise with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant, my promise with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there be any more be a flood to destroy the earth. You have to put yourself in the passage. What have Noah and his family, what have they just seen? They've just seen the most terrifying thing that you can imagine. God's wrath poured out on earth, God's judgment, rain poured out, and, and a cataclysmic worldwide flood. And undoubtedly now, it's a little bit scary. And what do we see here? God, in the midst of his judgment, in the midst of his righteousness, in the midst of his holiness, we see God giving them a promise of mercy and of grace and of long-suffering, if you will. What does he say? I want you to know, because just think about it, if you had been Noah, and then you started telling your kids and your grandkids, hey, why are we the only one on this big planet? You start telling them the story, and they tell others. What would happen every time a thunderclap came? What would it, were you driving to church today? I don't know about you, we were driving to church, and there was a little mist on the, uh, on the windshield, which is a little strange in Orange County in August. A little mist coming. Anybody else have some mist coming into church this morning? What, what do you think it would have been for them without this promise? They were driving to church, <clears throat> I don't know if they had windshields on their camels or not, but they were going to church, and, and a little mist came down. What do you think would have happened? All of a sudden, where's that boat? We got to go repair that, we got to go repair that ark, and we got to go get that fixed, and they would have lived in constant fear. Is that me? I'm not sure what's going on. I'm sorry. Number nine, thank you, Trent, sorry about that. There would have been great fear, and so do we see, we see God's promise. In the midst of judgment, we see God's love. 
God's long-suffering. All through this passage, all through Genesis where we've been, a lot of times people think of God in the Old Testament as being this mean, angry God. But all through even the first few chapters, we see great mercy and grace and love. You don't have to live in fear. I love you. I, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to show you long-suffering in the shadow of the greatest, most widespread worldwide judgment that the, the earth has ever seen. Even to, to this day, God was still full of mercy and grace and love. We saw even with the flood, he gave them 120 years, long-suffering, a reminder that the God we serve is, is, is a God of long-suffering and of grace and of mercy. And then lastly, in the outline here, we see God's sign. Verse number 12, and God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I rem may remember, look at this, the everlasting covenant Covenant. Aren't you glad that God's promises are everlasting? Between, uh, we just heard that song, leaning on the everlasting arms. The everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. That's going to be an important piece of information to know as we finish up this chapter with a pretty tragic situation in a couple of weeks. Verse number 19 these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. God's sign. So we have God's, God's order after they get off the boat. Man is the one that serves me. Man has priority over the animal world, over nature, if you will, and God's order of, 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 of rule of law. I want you to treat people right. I want you to treat things right, treat your animals right. I want you to treat those things, not a lawlessness. We have God's order, and then we see God's plan. God's plan was to be fruitful and to multiply. We see it's life, not death. We see God's promise. I'm a God of mercy, a God of justice, yes, but a God of, of love and grace. And then we see God's sign and it was a rainbow. And, and if you've ever seen a rainbow, it's one of the most awe-inspiring things. If you're ever driving, especially if you see a full one like that, and just the beauty of it, there's something about a rainbow. Like, how did that appear in the sky? How does that work? And you're driving. If you see one, maybe you'll stop and take a picture. Especially you see one go. There was uh, maybe a decade ago, there was a viral video of some guy that lost his mind because he saw a double rainbow. Some of you might remember that video. And he, he went wild. There's something so majestic and so awe-inspiring. But it's not just a beautiful symbol if you understand what the Bible says. It's a sign from God reminding his people that he would not destroy the earth with a flood. Isn't it coincidental that evolu through evolution that somehow rainbows only show up during or after a rainstorm? Isn't that amazing that just the evolutionary process knew exactly where to put those so that it would line up perfectly with God's promise? Of course, it's not the evolutionary process. It's a great reminder that when the rain came and maybe they got a little scared because there was a flash flood or it kept going for a day and is this another one? Is this round two? And then all of a sudden they would see a rainbow and what was it? It was God speaking to them. I love you. I know what you're going through. 
I promised I wouldn't destroy you that way again. You don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to live in fear. When you see that rainbow, that is God's sign, one of the most stunning and beautiful things. And, and it's a beautiful reminder of God's love for us, a reminder that his word is true. And by the way, may I just stop and remind you that now for 4,000 plus years and counting since the flood, God has kept his promise. God always keeps his promises. And I saw these four things in this passage, God's order and God's plan and God's promise and God's sign. I was reminded, I don't know why, maybe because my brain is strange, but I was reminded of those Pinterest fails. Because I thought about the fact that everything that God does, Satan has an ugly, messed up version of it. And the things that God does, Satan has a cheap imitation of. And he uses some of the same ingredients sometimes, and he, and he tries to make it look similar, but the end result is kind of like those Pinterest fails. It's nothing close to what the original creation was supposed to be. And those things that God had planned, and I got, I got dwelling and meditating on this passage, and I got thinking about it, and, and again, he often uses the same ingredients, but everything that God laid out for this new phase of human history, all of his instructions, all of his plans, everything that he had done for the last 4,000 plus years, Satan has been doing his best to take pieces of it and to deceive us to go opposite of God's plan. And, and what we see is that Satan's perversions are such cheap imitations of God's perfection. And that's why I was reminded of some of those Pinterest fails. He takes God's plan and perverts it into something that it was never supposed to look like, much like yours and my attempt at those cupcakes sometimes. And in this passage, I wanna bring you a message with a few thoughts. I'm gonna give you three takeaways this morning. What I see here in this passage is God's plan versus Satan's perversion. God's plan, his new creation, the, the judgment has come, God has a new, and it's God's plan. And since then, Satan takes God's plan and tries, he takes some of the same ingredients, but he tries to pervert it. For instance, the Bible says, God is love. That's what it says in 1 John, right? God is love. Satan takes love, and what does he do? He has a cheap imitation, a counterfeit to God's love, and it is lust. Now, there are some of the same similarities. It involves some of the same parties, if you will. It, it involves some of the same people, and it looks similar. There are some things that are similar on some levels, but it's so much different. You see, love is lasting. Lust is temporary. Love is spiritual. Lust is physical. Love is selfless. Lust is selfish. God gives love. The best Satan can give is a cheap imitation that feels good for a little bit, but always comes up empty in the long run. And I looked at these four things, God's order and God's plan and God's promise and God's sign. And I want you to think with me this morning. I looked and I saw God's order, man over animals and the order of law. What is Satan's perversion? The farther and farther away we get from God, the Bible says we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And there are are books on the law where the life of a, an animal, and by the way, God gives laws and, and gives commandments about taking good care of his creation, but where we elevate the life of an unborn animal above the life of an unborn human. 
We'll elevate the, the, the penalty for, for animal cruelty in some instances is worse than the penalty for maybe something with child abuse and some things. And, and we look and the farther and farther away we get, God's plan is that man has dominion over the earth. And, and Satan says, no, let me take that and let me make that, 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 it's, that the environment, mother earth, um, father, father uh, time and mother earth and mother nature and all of those things are more important than God. Oh, no. God's order, man over animals and the order of law. Satan says lawlessness. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Look at the second one there, God's plan. God's plan was life to repopulate the earth. Why? Because God is the giver of life. Satan's perversion is death, not life. What did the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter number two? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, much, uh, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He's death. John 8, 44, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father will you do. He was a, what church? He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. God's plan is life. Satan's plan is death. And what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to give our lives to selfishly seek pleasure and fulfillment personally. And, and it feels like that's going to make my life better. But what ends up happening is we get to the middle or the end of our life. We look back and say, I gave my life to a bunch of stuff that didn't matter. I wasted my life. Satan loves, the Bible says that God has come, that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Satan loves to get us to waste the life, the gift, the, the pleasure. So we see God's order, Satan's perversion. We see God's plan, Satan's perversion. Thirdly there, we see God's promise, mercy, long-suffering, grace, protection, Satan's perversion of that. He brings fear. He brings, he brings fear. He brings destruction. John 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What did he say? The world can't offer you what I can offer you. My promise is I want to give you protection and peace and love and grace and mercy, and you're gonna to try to find peace in, in people and in pleasures and in experiences and in relationships and in possessions. You're gonna to try to find that fulfillment in a career and in a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage and in a degree and in a whatever it might be. And Jesus said, the world can't give you that. They can give you pleasure, which gives that lasts for a season, a short time. Satan's perversion of that, he can't give you that peace. I give you peace, not that the world can't give. God's sign, then, we see is the rainbow, meant to be a beautiful, universal symbol and reminder of God's love and mercy. What has Satan done with God's sign of love and of grace and of mercy? If you were to see a flag with rainbow, the rainbow colors on it today, what would you think of? Sadly, Satan has taken God's sign of mercy and of grace and he's completely perverted it to a lifestyle that goes against the commands of this very passage where the sign was given. What were the commands? Be fruitful and multiply. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a scientist. I'm not a biologist. But I think I can say this. That takes a man and a woman. I don't have a PhD. I'm working on it. 
But to be fruitful and multiply takes God's plan of a marriage, a relationship between a man and a woman. Now, I know we're getting into cloning stuff and we're getting into all kinds of artificial things and all of that. But even with all of that, we need doctor's helps to take things from a woman and things from a man to try to create a baby somewhere else. God's plan to be fruitful and multiply. And the sign that came in this passage for God's plan, Satan has taken that sign and has used it to be a symbol, what was supposed to be a universal worldwide symbol of God's love, of God's protection, of God's mercy, and of God's grace is now a worldwide symbol of that which goes against God's plan. Satan loves to take what God has and pervert it into something else. Satan loves it. Uh, that, that the rainbow is a masterclass by Satan in taking something beautiful and perverting it for sinful, destructive purposes. Lifestyles in direct opposition to the commands from this passage are represented by the very symbol that God created. A symbol of God's love is now a symbol of man's pride. So what are our three takeaways for today? Number one. From this passage, as I studied it and looked at the, the new creation coming out, Noah's family out of the ark, number one, Satan always perverts God's plan. He doesn't really have a plan of his own. Satan doesn't really have an agenda other than, let me just mess up what God's doing. Let me try to take enough truth, let me take enough of what, what that is that God gave a beautiful gift with no regrets, with no shame, with, no, with no, no, no scars. Let me take that. Let me make it look good enough that they try to take it in places and in ways that they shouldn't get it. So now they live with regrets and scars and shame and condemnation. Let me take God's plan. I don't have really my own plan. I just want to take God's plan and pervert it. And it's a good reminder for all of us that Satan loves to take what God has done and simply counterfeit it. His plan is simply to counterfeit God's plan to get you not to follow it. He doesn't care which plan you follow as long as it isn't God's. So he gives a bunch of other options that sometimes resemble God's plan in some way and appeal to our sinful flesh. God's plan, as we see all throughout the New Testament, is faithful gathering with God's people together as a church family. God intended for the church family, a body of believers, to come together to encourage one another, to keep each other accountable, to help each other, to pray for each other, to, to do a, why? Because God understood and we see all through the New Testament, he did not intend for his children, for believers to live their Christian lives in isolation. So he gave us the local church. He understood there's a need inside the human heart for community. So what does Satan do? He says, I understand there's a need for that. And, and so what am I going to do? I'm going to do my best to just counterfeit that and get them to look for the community that God intended for them to have within the church in other places. We're told that even faithful Christians now are down to gathering for only two or three services per month on average. If you go to two services a month, you're now considered a faithful church attender according to some surveys. The busyness of every, every other area of community in our lives has crowded out the God-ordained biblical community of our church families. Satan will offer you all kinds of counterfeit plans to try to find the community and camaraderie and accountability and encouragement that God designed the church to provide. So go find community through your favorite sports team or your career or a hobby or a social club. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. What is wrong with them is when they begin to take priority in our budgets and in our schedules above the God-ordained community that God created for you and for me. Satan would love to get you to find that in anything other than a group of like-minded believers. For the Christian, I believe the primary outlet for that community we crave should be the local church. 
That doesn't mean we can't be involved and be salt and light. We can't have friends and we can't be involved at a, in, a, in a sports league or can't have our kids in this or that. And my, when our youngest son is signed up for a city football league that started practice a week or two ago. I'm not against those things, but in our lives, we say no to a whole lot of things. And where those things con conflict with our church community, with our church family, this is the priority. Why? This is, this is where we find how we fulfill many of the God-ordained principles and commands of Scripture is through his local church. I didn't come up with it. God did. It's in the Word. Satan would love to get you isolated from your church community, for it is there that you are a much easier spiritual target for his devilish and destructive purposes for your life. I saw this meme on Facebook this week, I think. It says, if I'm a Christian but I don't need the church, was a photo. And there is the zebra away from, what does the Bible say? That Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, when we're isolated from Christian community in our lives, we are great targets for Satan, for our flesh, for sinful things in our lives. I've watched it in people's lives. In the times when they need the church the most, they begin to withdraw from that community. It's a dangerous place to be. I was reading a, a book from uh, Pastor Dave Tice. He pastors in Las Vegas. He actually preached, I think, our second or third Tuesday night of the summer here, summer preaching series. I don't know him very well. I've met him a few times, but I do know of his ministry, planted a church in Sin City about 30-some years ago, I think uh, late 70s, early 80s, maybe 40 years ago. No, it's 45 years because they're getting ready to celebrate their anniversary. I just saw it on Facebook. 45 years ago, whatever that would be, late 70s, I guess. Sin City, they raised five children. Had two sons, both of them pastor in Las Vegas, two different churches. Three daughters love the Lord, have, are raising their children to love the Lord. A couple of them are members of their church there. Another one somewhere else. Probably not a perfect family. I don't know them real well, but, but they do just seem to be a family that desires to love the Lord and to know the Lord. I was reading a book on the family by him this week. Had some devotionals for families, and he made this statement. He said, the church is the body of Christ. If you're going to have a Christ-centered home, you should have a church-centered home. I think there's some wisdom there. I got thinking about it. Do I really agree with that? Is that right? But I really think there's some practical wisdom that the church is the body of Christ. We're going to have a Christ-centered home. But our lives are not centered around the community that God has given us for our spiritual edification. Does that mean you can't grow spiritually in your own home? Of course not. Does that mean you shouldn't pray together as a family at home on your own? Of course not. Does that mean that you shouldn't read the Bible together at home and you have to come to church to, to learn of God? Of course not. But what it does mean is God intended and designed the local church. He came up with it. It's in the New Testament for our edification, for our strengthening, for us to find those relationships. The closest relationships in my life are found in the two churches in which I've been a member of of my 34 years of being a Christian. I have friends that don't go to this church, but my closest relationships are in this church. Why? Because we're going in the same direction. We're united by the gospel, striving to do those things. The church is the, Christ is the, the, church is the body of Christ. If we're going to have a Christ-centered home, we should have a church-centered home. So Satan would love to counterfeit our need for community. What's another way that Satan always perverts God's plan? God's plan is a monogamous physical relationship between one man and one woman for life. That sounds really, really strange in 2022. That is not what you're being taught anywhere in anywhere of our culture or society, but that's God's plan. 
One woman, one man for life. I understand that human nature, sin, tragedies, accidents, faults, failures come in. I was born out of wedlock. I was raised by a single mom. My mom got married. My, my mom and stepdad divorced. My dad got uh, married. My dad and stepmom are still together. I know all about dysfunction and broken homes. I know all about how everyone doesn't always end up following God's perfect plan. But that doesn't change that that's still God's plan. Situations in your life or in mine, your family or mine, doesn't change what God's plan is. God's plan is a monogamous physical relationship between one man and one woman for life within marriage. And here, what, so what is Satan's plan to counterfeit that? Take your pick. He doesn't have one. He has a whole bunch, and he doesn't care which one you take. Satan is happy to counterfeit that relationship and to get you with any perversion of that, whether it's fornication, which is a physical relationship before marriage, or adultery, which is a physical relationship um, with another while married, or pornography, which is a cheapening and desensitizing of God's plan for a beautiful, holy, sacred relationship, or pedophilia, or homosexuality, or gender confusion. All of those things and others take God's gift of human sexuality and pervert them into something hurtful and destructive and demeaning and so much less beautiful and satisfying and fulfilling than God's perfect plan for sexuality. We have cheapened it in our, in our it's, it's one night stands and it's this and it's that and I don't need to, we've cheapened in our culture. And it's just physical attraction, it's what makes you happy and let me do that for a while, let me try that one out for a while, let me go there, let me go there. And guess what all of those bring? I know after 22 years of ministry and counseling with folks and, and addictions to pornography and, and adultery, I see the, the tears, I see the scars, I see the years of counseling, I see those things where what was a beautiful gift that God gave for you or for me to enjoy within the bounds of marriage for a lifetime with no shame, with no regret, to fulfill his purposes, to be fruitful, and to multiply what was a beautiful thing God has taken, I'm sorry, Satan has taken and cheapened it and desensitized it and made it all about your pleasure and your, your, your personal fulfillment and not about the spiritual beautiful union that it can be. We have an adversary and his best trick is to take something good from God and pervert it enough to mess it up while making it look good and appealing so that what God wanted to use for good in our lives will ultimately end up hurting us deeply. Can I say that again? I want you to ponder that sentence. We have an adversary and his best trick is to take something good from God and pervert it enough to mess it up while making it look good and appealing so that what God wanted to use for good in our lives will ultimately end up hurting us deeply. Which leads to the next takeaway, number two. Satan's perversions always bring pain. Satan's path, which is a perversion or a counterfeit of God's, always brings pain. Always. Now, let me be honest with you. You know what else they bring? Pleasure. Because if they didn't, none of us would do them. We wouldn't be tempted, it wouldn't be appealing. We wouldn't go to that website. We wouldn't have that conversation. We wouldn't steal that money at work. We wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be dishonest in that business dealing to make ourselves a little bit more. If his plan, if his path, if his perversions didn't bring pleasure, none of us would do them. 
but he makes them look, nobody will know, that will bring you that peace you're looking for. That will give you that fulfillment you're looking for. That will give you that adrenaline hit. That will give you that dopamine hit. That's what you need right there. That party, that relationship, that fulfillment, that possession, lie, cheat, steal, whatever you have to do to get that, that's what it's going to be. And his, But what ends up happening, so they do bring pleasure. The Bible says it this way. There is pleasure in sin for a what, church? For a what? For a season. There is pleasure in sin. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that sin isn't fun, that you're not going to like it because you are. You have a sin nature just like I do. It's going to feel really good. Trying that substance, going to that place, doing that, whatever it might be, living for yourself is going to feel really good for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a season. What does the Bible say in the book of James? The book of James, chapter number one, the Bible says, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth lust, that thing that makes you look, man, I want that, it feels good. A lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what, church? Sin, and that's Satan's plan. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Death of dreams, sometimes physical death, spiritual death, death of hopes, death of relationships, Death in our lives, death of, of, of opportunities, doors get closed. Sin, it, it looks good. Satan's plan always brings, his, his perversions always bring pain, but before they ever bring pain, they bring pleasure. It looks really good, but when, and when the lust, that lust is what looks good. I've got to try that. I've got to have that. That's going to make me feel good. When it's conceived, it leads us to sin. And sin, when it is finished, not always up front. The Bible says it this way, the blessing of the Lord, he maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. God's plan has no pain at the end of it. Now, I, I get it. Sometimes walking for God, we, we learned all about that last Sunday. There's pain along this journey. I get that. But I'm talking about pain, the pain of regret, the pain of shame, the pain of condemnation. There is no pain at the end of God's plan of those things. There, you don't get to the end of living a life in accordance with God's word, fulfilling God's plan, and look back and say, what a terrible wasted life. I'm so sorry I gave my life to God. You don't do that. But there are many folks that get to the end of living for their plans, for Satan's perversions of God's plan, look back and say, why did I get involved in that? And how did I let that get that far? And how come I can't conquer that? And why can't I get over that? And I get that, I struggle with that addiction. And, and man, I've got this besetting sin in my life. And there's regret. His perversions always bring pain. What do Satan's sexual perversions bring? Pain, regret, divorce, broken relationships, heartache, scars, addiction, STDs, teen pregnancy, broken homes, children out of wedlock, which I was one. His perversions of God's plan always bring us pain and complicate our lives. Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. Satan's yoke is terminal. What is alcohol? What do alcohol and illegal drugs promise? What do they promise you? Peace, right? Some escape from reality. Some, they, they promise you some pleasure, some relief from pain. I'm going to drink my sorrows away. But what do they often leave us with? Financial ruin, rehab, sickness, addiction, physical maladies, and death. Often that thing that we're seeking from a substance. My grandfather died of emphysema. Why? Because he allowed, the, 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 he, he, he took in that, that substance of tobacco through cigarettes over the course of decades. And his life probably was shortened by 5, 10, 15, 20 years years. I'm not sure. Why? Because that thing that brought him a little a nicotine hit, gave him a little bit of whatever the reason was that he got involved in it, what did it bring in the end? It brought pain. God says children are a gift. Multiply. Satan says children are a burden, an inconvenience. Abort them if you're not quite ready. 
Let someone else raise them. Abuse them if they make you mad. Neglect them if you're busy. Because after all, your priorities and needs are most important. God says, be content with what you have. Satan says, you need more. What does covetousness lead to? It leads to dishonesty often. It leads to greed. It can lead to theft, to robbery. God says, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Be always satisfied with your relationships with her for a lifetime. Satan says, watch these videos and develop appetites and desires and addictions that you can never fulfill. Maybe that next partner is the one who will bring you that lasting physical satisfaction, and they never do. So you run through relationship after relationship. God says, respect and appreciate my creation and use it as you live a life of worship and service to me. Satan says, worship and serve creation, not the creator of it. Make a God out of the things that God made. As long as you don't recognize the true God. You see it in this passage. What God laid out, Satan tried to turn on its head, tried to revert, tried to counterfeit. The last takeaway, Satan always perverts God's plan. Number two, his plan always brings pain. Number three, and we'll finish it up. My challenge to you this morning is follow God's plan not Satan's perversion. Follow God's plan. Teenager, follow God's plan, not Satan's perversion. And you might feel like you're the only one in your peer group doing that. College student, follow God's plan, not Satan's perversion for your life. Don't buy into the lie that in your 20s to be happy, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Find out what God says and do those things. Young married couple, follow God's plan, not Satan's perversion. Middle-aged family, follow God's plan. Senior citizen, grandma, grandpa, follow God's plan. Not Satan's perversion. Don't buy into his lies. And it's tough because they look really good. If they didn't, we wouldn't partake. But everything that God has for you, Satan is going to try to pervert. He'll take the gift of love and lead you to lust. He'll take the gift of money. By the way, money's not a bad thing. The Bible says it's God that gives you the power to get wealth. That's a gift from God. If you're able to get wealth, it's a gift from God. But money has destroyed many a life, many a family. Leads to perdition and destruction, 2 Timothy says, the love of it. He'll take the gift of money and lead you to covetousness and materialism and the wrong priorities. He'll take the gift of health. And it's not wrong to take good care of your health, but he'll lead you to self-worship of your own body, and it's all about your body. He'll take the gift of giving and lead you to be stingy and selfish. Follow God's plan, not Satan's perversion. Young person, don't listen to the lies of culture. Be careful about the influences flooding your mind online and through music and TikTok and ungodly influences. The only way, by the way, for any of us to follow God's plan and turn down the voices of culture is to turn up the volume of God's word. It's, again, why it's so important, faithfulness to the word of God, faithfulness to the house of God together, faithfulness to service and to fellowship. Why? Because culture is constantly telling us this looks good try that why do they spend five plus million dollars for a 30 second ad in the super bowl why because they understand that those things have power to influence decisions what we watch has power to influence decisions if it didn't they wouldn't spend millions upon millions to advertise for 30 seconds at the super bowl What you listen to has power to influence decisions. Who you follow on social media, what you like, what you're watching, what you're reading, who you're spending time with, those things have power. And culture is saying, follow this path, follow this perversion. Just go ahead and look at the the group of people that are following that path. And let's, where does that lead them in their life 10 or 20 or 30 years from now? And ask yourself, is that where I want to be? 
But you've got to get to God's word. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter number 12. I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Follow God's plan. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't follow the world's path and plan for you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. What renews our mind? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. What is it that renews our mind? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It's the relationships we allow in. It's show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You show me the, the music that your friends listen to. You're probably go, either are or going to be listening to that. You show me the places your friends are going. You're going to be going there. We are going to be like the people we surround ourselves with. What, what are the in influences in our lives through his word, through entertainment, through relationships. What are we allowing the voices? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The spirit of God, the word of God, the church of God, the people of God, we need more of that in our lives, not less. The floodgates of culture have never, I'm not going to say culture has never been worse than it is today because the Bible says, I believe in Noah's day was actually worse. Because the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. I believe when it gets as bad as it was in Noah's day, that's when Christ is going to come again for us in what we call the rapture. I don't believe culture is as bad as it's ever been. I believe access to the cultural, the information of culture is as widespread and as open as it's ever been. The voices telling you which path to go are louder than they've ever been. Your grandparents and mine they had three channels that were on TV for like six hours a day to tell them what was happening in the world. Do you remember, if you wanted to know something, there wasn't kids, Google hasn't always been around. There wasn't a thing called Google, there was a guy that came to your door and sold you the encyclopedia set. And if it wasn't in the encyclopedia, you just didn't get to know it. You had a question, you're sitting around your house, and I remember almost every house you would go to, they had a, an encyclopedia set there. And you had a question like, I wonder what such and such means. And you would go look it up in the A through Z or whatever. You'd look it up in the back. And if the encyclopedia didn't know it, then we just didn't know it. We just kept going on with our lives without knowing it. How many times a day do you answer questions with Google? For me, it's multiple. What do you think about that? I forget what the last one was. We were talking as a family yesterday. Uh, let's jump on that and find out. The access to information, and it's not all bad, but, but there is much access to sinful cultural persuasion and that the, the access to it has never been as strong as it is. So we need to read God's word, memorize it, meditate on it, study it. When you have a question on how something should be done uh, in, in your life, instead of going to Instagram to find out or Snapchat or, or TikTok, go to the word, go to a godly counselor in your life. Noah and his children get off the ark and God lays out a few things for his creation in chapter nine. And what we see is for the last 4,000 plus years, Satan has been taking those same ingredients and seeking to pervert them and counterfeit them. We're actually going to see Noah using God's creation in two weeks from the fruit of the vine to hurt himself and his children for generations. He takes God's gift of fruit growing again, which by the way had been a curse to Adam and Eve. That fruit, that gift, that, that he takes God's gift of fruit and he turns it into an alcoholic substance that ends up um, really affecting his family in negative ways for generations. One, one line of his family, it ends up bringing a curse to them. We're gonna see that Canaan, the son of Ham, 
And I'll be preaching in a couple of weeks a message entitled, Why I Don't Drink Alcohol. And it's not just going to be about my opinions. We're going to take a look at scriptural principles. And I understand that's not a real popular uh, subject to hit on in churches today. That's not, how you, that's not what the church builders are going to tell you, how to, how to build a giant church. But that's all right, because scripture speaks to it. And again, you don't sit in my office dealing with the effects of these things. So we're going to look at those, but Satan loves to get us to take God's blessings and to spoil them, to counterfeit them. We must follow God's plan. So what should you and I do with this message? Commit to follow God's plan, not Satan's perversion. Young person, understand he's trying to deceive you. He's got to, he, he would love to get you messed up in your teen years, your college years, as a, in your 20s. He would love to get you involved in things that you struggle with for decades that bring scars and regret and pain for decades. Follow God's plan. Follow God's word. If you're not a believer this morning, give your life to him. And if you are, make his word and his house and his principles the guide and the priority in your life. Here's the reality, church. God has your best interests at heart. The world, the flesh, and the devil don't. So who are you going to follow? Teen, Satan wants to get you to live for self, not the Savior. Adults, God wants you to give your best years to anything but God and your family. He wants all of us to come to the latter years of our lives feeling empty and unfulfilled because we've been deceived by his perversion rather than dedicated to God's perfect plan. Don't be deceived by Satan's perversion. Dedicate your life to God's perfect plan. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.